why would you not want to put as much money as you possibly could into that account when taxes have never been this low in 50 years and you're basically buying your taxes at 50% off? Hello and welcome to the You're an Asset podcast. I'm your host, Casey the Dollar. And on this podcast, we find out who is an asset in the financial industry and who is just an ass. It is. The BMIs are stupid. Thanks so much for joining me today, everyone. Um, I have a special guest on our show today. He happens to be an insurance agent, just like myself. I'm really excited to have this person here. I think it's going to be a great episode. We're looking forward to getting to know him and know uh, about his experience in the industry and what he knows or does not know. Um, But I do have faith. And without further ado, please welcome Mr. Tax-Free Mike. Hey, Mike, how's it going? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. It's a pleasure. Amazing. Amazing. No, I'm stoked to have you here, too. First off, I mean, I know of you because we happen to do a lot of the same business. Um, We work with some of the same insurance carriers, and we have some mutual friends in common. Mr. Ron Sneller, I believe he's more of a close friend to you than he is to me, but um, some mutuals out there. Mike, I want to start off just how old are you? Where are you from? How long have you been licensed? Yeah, um, I'm in my early 30s. I'm from Michigan, just like our uh, aforementioned uh, acquaintance there, Ron Sneller. I've been in the business six six years. Awesome. Ron Sneller is the one who brought me in. Um, we yeah. started in the fraternal world uh, with a fraternal insurance carrier, and then we kind of started learning a lot more about LERPs, you know, life insurance retirement plans, uh, becoming your own banker, infinite banking concept, more complex uh, specialty uses for life insurance. So amazing. Okay. I want to back up here a second because I want to know more about how you got into the industry. You know, what were you doing before you got sure. your life insurance license? You know, what was your experience <clears throat> work-wise before that? Yeah. So I was, I was kind of one of the stereotypical, not like failure to launch, so to speak, but the stereotypical underachieving millennial where <laughs> you're kind of, you come out of high school you're told to go to college and get a degree, which was already the wrong thing to do. And so I'm kind of hampered with this worthless college degree. I thank God wasn't too much in debt to get it. Um, and I'm working some, you know, corporate nine to five type job that I'm not too terribly passionate about. And I'm like, this cannot be my life. Like, go to school, work at this company that doesn't care about me, make this corporation a bunch of money. I just felt like a sense of meaninglessness and purposelessness where I'm like, I'm just, I'm just a number on a piece of paper. Like what impact am I having on the world? I mean, it was a job. That's all it was to me. Yeah. Um, I always felt like I was destined for greatness. And like part of becoming that person was getting out of where I was like the nine to five area was not where I was going to have that level of of impact. Um, And so I saw Ron Sneller. We'd known each other for years. Yeah, Um, Yeah. So he posted a thing on Facebook. So I figured out what the heck. I'll see what he's got. The rest is history. Yeah, and that's kind of yeah, that's kind of where where it was. I was already kind of a self starter, but I just you know followed Ron's instructions on hey, this is 
how the financial services business works. This is what you need to do. And you'll have that level of impact on each family you talk to. You're helping people. You're you're yeah. they're in a much better position after they talk to you compared Hopefully. to before they before they met you. You know, not to sound arrogant or anything, but the best financial decision someone can ever make in their entire life is is talking to me because yeah. I will be able I will be able to help you do the things that you can't do without me. I'm going to help your family. Like if you die, if you're disabled, if you go into a nursing home or you need long term care, I'm going to be the only one in your life that actually gives you a check to cover for all of that. And I'm the, one of the only people in your life who's going to be able to call you during the next financial crisis when your 401k is down 50% that, oh, by the way, you didn't lose one nickel with me. Things like that, that really add up to be significant levels of impact in that person's life. Like we're the only people who can do that. Okay. You just added the word we and saying we are the only ones that mm -hmm. can do that for someone, right? Oh yeah. I, I, when I, when I say we, I, I'm, I guess I'm referring more to as like us in this industry as a whole in the industry, but yeah, I, I, I don't have people who I'm mentoring quite yet. I mean, I, I do a little bit going back I, to the recruiting. Yeah. I don't really do a lot of recruiting. Um, okay. my, I, I mean, I, I probably will eventually, but my, my passion is being out in the field and like actually meeting with the clients and, yeah. and, you know, building those relations. And not that you're not building relationships. If you're recruiting, you absolutely are, but just different I'm, kinds I, of relationships. Yeah. It's just different. Yeah. Like I, I like, I like actually meeting with the clients and, you know, building them a, a plan. And so and do you that. own your business or does someone else own a business? That you're working with yeah i all, all all the people who i talk to they're like they're my clients and but like do you have an llc an s corp or are you working under somebody else's you have yeah, your s own corp. s corp amazing so then how many people do you have working with you and you know i have a guy that edits my videos okay uh, yeah, I, yeah. Tr I try to automate as much as possible, like, Absolutely. you know, automated emails and stuff like that. I'm about to bring on an assistant just to help with like administrative type stuff, but I'm pretty. You're I'm, a one man I'm, show. Yeah, I'm pretty organized. Yeah. Like I can okay. do a, I can do a lot of my own. So then why do you think that you've been so successful? Yeah, yeah, I would say a lot of it is my my work ethic. I am a self-starter. You know, I, I always felt like I was destined for greatness. I always felt like I was destined to do more than where I was. I always felt like I yeah. was going to gonna have a, a level of impact. And that was kind of like my, my fuel and my motivation to kind of keep making the phone calls or, you know, go to that networking meeting or, yeah. you know, stay up late doing that live stream on TikTok or you can't be an, in an entrepreneur without having that drive, right. that, sure. that constant, constant <laughs> hunger of like, it's not hunger for money, it's hunger for success and well, hunger yeah. for helping people for actually making a difference, like you said, which is which is really awesome. Do you have a favorite book or a favorite person in the industry that you've learned from? Yeah, I like, uh, I really like David McKnight. Um, yeah. the, the Power of Zero, of course, is a is a classic. I like um, Index Universal Life and Whole Life Insurance uh, for the infinite banking concept. So another book that I really enjoyed, uh, Patrick Donahoe. And okay. the book is Heads I Win, Tails You Lose. He talks a lot about the infinite banking concept. That's a really good book. I'm going to have that to was, add that, that one to my list. Yeah. yeah, that one's good. That was actually my like aha moment where I was like, oh, I get it now. That's oh, amazing. Yeah. Yeah, that's how all this works. And that's why this is such a good idea. I, okay. I'm, so now are you doing just as many whole life policies as you're doing universal policies with clients? It's One close. It's pretty it's close. close. Yeah, I probably okay. do a little bit more IUL, but it's it's almost 50-50 this year just because okay. of the banking failures earlier on this past uh, spring. 
Yeah, that'll uh, bring people to life insurance, especially whole life insurance because of the guarantees of the product. Right. Yeah. It makes complete sense, right? For sure. I like both. I mean, I know there's a lot of debate out there in social media about, oh, you should never do a whole life policy. They're terrible. Or, oh, you should do IUL because there's too much left to chance and there's no guarantees. And as long as you're with a good carrier, I mean, because you could say, oh, well, what if the whole life company cuts their dividend and, you know, now you're screwed because you're not getting your dividend anymore. I mean, that really does blow the whole thing apart if you're not getting a dividend. But there's there's never one perfect financial product. I like both. I actually have both myself. I have a large whole life policy and a large IUL and I like both and I just educate the client on how they work and they'll they'll tell you what makes more sense to them. Yeah. I mean, it's a that's the way that most agents should be handling this situation. Sure. I came into the industry the same way with, you know, working with IULs and hearing all of this backlash about whole life products. Mm-hmm. And it was maybe just a couple months until I was like, you know what? Why don't we be knowledgeable about both products? Sure. People are yeah. always going to want one over the other, right? And so right. we close ourselves off and say we only do one product. We just pushed a bunch of potential clients out of the way. Um, so it doesn't doesn't make sense to me, these creators who are like, oh, IUL is awful, only whole life. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. Yeah, so I, I agree. I, it, all, yeah. all it is is a tool. And if you're hammering in a nail, you need a hammer. If you want a screw in a screw, you need a screwdriver. You need to determine what task the client's trying to accomplish. And that's going to determine which tool is going to work best for them. Mike, I would love to know about a client or, you know, a couple clients that you either really enjoyed helping um, mm-hmm. or was just a really fun case to work. Yeah, there is a guy uh, in, in, in the Atlanta area who uh, I really have, I guess I would consider him a friend even at this point. Yeah. Um, did a good size IUL with on, on him, his wife, and we're working on getting something set up for his two kids. Uh, but he he was really fun to work with just because um, he was like one of my biggest fans on social media. Like he would come in. <laughs> He would like comment on my videos and he would come in on the live streams and be like, oh, hey, I just set up a policy. You know, everybody's got to book a meeting. He was just like, like a really good cheerleader. Yeah. Um, But he, he like desperately needed something because he, you know, very high net worth. He had a lot of money in the bank and he had no life insurance like at all. And, and so he was married. He's got two, his kids are, uh, younger and he was in his like early 50s you know he's running like a multi-million dollar business but no no insurance at all uh nothing that's guaranteed everything's tied up in his business or stocks and cryptocurrency and it's like if one thing goes wrong in the economy you could lose everything like and you have no life insurance like what if you die tomorrow like what's your wife gonna do tell me tell me about the policy what was then the policy ended up doing i want to hear all the numbers i'm sure listeners would love to hear yeah i mean we we did um a single deposit lump sum into the policy to kind of bump up that death benefit because he did need life insurance so it was kind of like a dual play i mean he needed the life insurance but he we also wanted to move cash out of the bank and and get it funneled into this policy to use as uh, tax-free income in retirement and, you know, Mm long-term care protection and also intermittently borrowing against the policy to use as seed money for his business. So basically it's split between two main pile, one on him and one on his wife, but we Okay. We put in um, a hundred thousand up front, a single deposit on him and his wife. Um, so two hundred thousand total there, and then like a recurring premium of of sixty thousand a year on each of them. Okay. Uh, so you know, minimum death benefit to get that cash account to grow quickly. Which death benefit option? We did uh, return of premium. Amazing. 
Are they planning to fund the 60000 for 10 years until retirement age? Probably 10 years. Um, he's not exactly sure. That's the one thing he liked about the IUL is, you know, it's a little bit more flexible to do that than with the whole life policy, mm-hmm. especially if we've got enough cash in there and he decides I actually want to stop paying it after, you know, year year eight. You know, he yeah. probably could probably could if you yeah. if the policy's performing okay. But he, you know, we didn't want to do uh, a whole life policy where, you know, like say we're doing a 10 pay and what if he wants to add into it for exactly. you know 15, 15 years and he can't. You know, the, the IUL was a really good fit for what he was looking to do. No, that sounds like a fun case. You're getting to play with big numbers. You Yeah. You know, it's it's always fun to work with People who have that extra money to spare and sure. you can really set them up nicely. I mean, through all of your playing with numbers for this mm-hmm. family, for the for the case, did you try using a level death benefit? And if you did, why didn't you go with a level death benefit? Um, Yeah, I did. It looked like the return of premium was the way to go. It, at least from what I could see, it didn't really make a huge difference. Mm-hmm. Um. Because his business is growing, we wanted to do the return of um, return of premium because it does kind of bump up that death benefit a little bit each year as we as we're paying in. Whenever we want to stop paying in, we're probably going to switch it over to level to kind of lock it in if we're going to get uh, income distributions out of the policy. He, and that's the thing we might not even need to do that because he might just be okay living off of the income from his business. We may not even end up using the cash value. So we're kind of like, you might just want to leave all the money there and then pass it on to your kids tax free when you die. So, um, or you might need it for long-term care. I, I, I would have used return of premium just based on what you're saying, but return of premium might will level out when he stops funding the policy. So you don't have to worry about that. Yeah, we might not, you know, yeah, it might not it might not be a big deal. I mean, when, when you change it to level, it did kind of reduce a little bit of death. Like it kind of took some death benefit off, mm. um, which can kind of help with the yeah. efficiency of the policy. But yeah, you're right. It might it might not even be necessary. It's such a small nuance detail that I mean, if even if it takes off like 100,000 in death benefit might not even matter when if he pulls the income, then it'll, the policy set up to return him the premium. So you're all yeah, good. yeah, I, that's, that's the point. I love I love return of premium. That is the death benefit option you want to use. I would love to know if there is an instance where you're going to use a level death benefit, because you may or may not know that I, I talk a lot about how a level death benefit usually doesn't perform the same way. Right. But of course, there are instances where a level death benefit does work well for a client. When would you use a level death benefit? I have in some cases. In my experience, it has seemed to make a little bit more sense when someone's a little bit older in their 60s. I've noticed that a level death benefit can work better. If you do an increasing death benefit, it can really just, you know, blow the whole policy apart because the cost of insurance go up too much. Uh, And then, of course, there's the insurance need, too. I mean, ultimately, if someone has a need for for life insurance and the level death benefit can start them out with a higher amount of death benefit, that could still be appropriate, even if they don't have that much cash value available a few years, too. So I guess, you know, there's always that conversation to be had, like how much life insurance does this person actually need? Of course, right? That's supposed to be priority number one. Right. Uh, Right. right? (laughs) I mean, we we focus on cash value so much that it right. becomes, you know, next priority underneath that. Um, but right. I, I 100% agree. A level death benefit, older person, five-year funding period. Mm-hmm. That's when I would use it. I, uh, I'm i curious about like a like a very typical whole life policy. Like who do you see that likes whole life? What are the strategies you're doing? How old are the clients? Um, yeah. yeah, generally most of my whole life clientele are more 
like real estate investor type okay. people. They, they have a high cash uh, or a high uh, liquidity need. Mm-hmm. Um, and for the IUL, sometimes it just doesn't work. Like if you put a lump sum in there and then 30 days later, you need to borrow against it to go buy your next rental or fund your next flip. They, yeah. they, they have a higher liquidity need. And so a lot of times, most of my clients who do whole life are those infinite banking type people who are like, hey, I can put this single deposit into the policy. I can get like 80% of it. I can borrow it right back out within 30 days. You know, I don't have to wait for, you know, two or three years to have like 80, 85% of my money available. It's available like right after I open it. So are you doing one? Are you doing like a two pay? Or are you doing a five pay with whole life? You're not just doing one lump sum. Yeah, well, normally we're doing like a, a single deposit um, paid up addition, which is like a one-time yeah. upfront lump sum. Um, and then we're funding it until they don't want to fund it anymore. So usually okay. trying to have it paid up at 65 or just paid up at age 100. Because if they're, even if they're 65 years old and they have 30 rental properties. They should be able to. Yeah, I mean, they're still going to want to put money there. I mean, just because they magically turn 65 doesn't mean that they're just all of a sudden those rental properties aren't going to cash flow anymore. It's kind of like, okay, well, I mean, what would you rather do? Put all that cash flow into Bank of America where you're not even getting 1% and oh, by the way, that's income taxable. Or would you rather put it into this whole life policy where you're getting a 5% dividend income tax free and you're building up your death benefit to pass on to your family tax free. You got money for long term care. It's protected from market downturn. So, I mean, a lot of my clients who are real estate investors, if they have rentals, they're probably going to fund the policy till the day they die. But generally, we're just moving that from their left pocket to their right pocket. We're moving it out of the bank, putting it into the policy, and then we're putting like a smaller residual amount each year. So they might say, put 50000 up front and then put like ten or 12000 a year after that to kind of just keep keep feeding the machine. And that would be a good strategy for whole life to do that higher lump sum in right. the beginning. Right. Would you do that with an IUL? Allow someone to put 50,000 on year one and then go into just 12? I year? probably wouldn't. I mean, it, it, it sometimes, I guess it would depend on the insurance need. But I mean, I, I always I always run the numbers and look because I know there are some IULs that you can do like a waiver of surrender charges where you can still have mm-hmm some early liquidity and and that can it can still make sense but if you put it up against a good whole life policy 90% of the time the whole life policy wins. One oh, I agree. I would not I I tell people I told someone today, "Hey, a lump sum on year 1 of 25 grand and then paying 5 grand a year is not it's not as exciting as you think it is and it's not going to grow that immediate cash value like you want it to. It's just right. not now, a whole life policy, 25 grand year one, you know, five, six grand after that would be a lot better. It would, yeah, you, it could would probably, be a lot better. you could probably make that work. Yeah, you, you yeah. probably could. The IUL just wants that consistent balance, 25 grand again and again and again. So, yeah, I definitely I, I agree with you there for sure. Um, and that's good to hear because as insurance agents, you know, we know that if a client says, hey, can I put 100 grand into the policy on year one and then go and pay, you know, a thousand bucks a month? They could do that. Right. And you can. we're going to make a huge huge commission off of it and they're not going to end up happy later and they're going to be going right. why don't i have the results well then was my policy <laughs> lapsing i got this nasty letter in the mail that says i'm going to lose all my money what's going on exactly. here exactly what's going on well that hundred grand bought a hundred thousand dollars worth of coverage and then you only right. paid 12 grand towards it yeah, right so it just right. doesn't work but a whole life policy can be designed where that does make sense um so if anyone listening that is a perfect example of 
how to figure out if you need an IUL or a whole life policy, just really depending on that first year um, right. and what you wanted to use to build that policy. Yeah. And how, yeah. how quickly they want to borrow against it. Stuff like that, too, where, yeah, I mean, if, if they really, really want the IUL and they don't want the whole life policy, then eh, maybe we just do a little bit of a smaller policy and we can always open up a bigger one in a year or two or whenever. Do you ever take advantage of term policies to help people supplement or use convertible terms? Sometimes if there's that level of insurance need and you know, you could supplement the gap with term insurance and then have options to convert it going into the future, especially if they're young, you know, if they're in their twenties or thirties and you know, they're just getting married or, you know, they just had a baby and yeah. You know, they have an obvious insurance need and, um, you know, the term insurance could do that. And then, you know, 10 years later, if they want to convert it to an IUL or convert it to more whole life, it's just a little bit easier on the client because they're locking in that health rating that they had when they were in their 20s. Yeah, exactly. You mentioned pay till you're 100 in the whole Mm -hmm. life policies. And this would be something that I haven't talked about on the podcast yet is that there are whole life insurance policies where you pay till you are 100 years old. Like that is the commitment you have to pay until you're 100. I get these policies a lot. And I'm curious what your thought is. If you were to have someone say, hey, Mike, can you review this policy for me? I'm 30 years old. I'm paying $300 a month and it's a whole life policy, pay till 100. What is your reaction to that? What do you think about that situation? Could depend on what they want to do with that policy. Like if they're if they're doing it more for the life insurance, if it's like, hey, this is before I met you or this is before I saw your videos on Instagram or TikTok about, you know, tax-free retirement and life insurance retirement plans. So I had this policy from, you know, two years ago. I told my insurance guy that I wanted whole life because I don't like term because it expires. You know, that that policy could still very well be appropriate for them. But if they're like, oh, wow, um, I didn't know you could use this as a retirement plan. Can I do that with what I have? Kind of. So if they're 60 or 65 and they just don't want to pay until age 100, um, they can do uh, a reduced paid up, which is basically like freezing in the, the value of that whole life policy, basically buying like 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 a paid up policy. So mm-hmm. at age 65, let's say they have 200,000 of cash value in that policy. And basically the insurance company is going to say, okay, well, 200,000 of cash value is going to buy a 65 year old man, 250,000 of death benefit. Okay. And that'll be paid up. It'll be guaranteed paid up. So no more premiums. All those premiums at age 100 are gone. So that would be basically this no different as like a pay like a 10 pay policy that's paid up in year 10. Um, so they can do a reduced paid up. All those future premiums are eliminated. The policy's paid up. The cash value is still there. The death benefit's going to go down dramatically, though. Um, mm-hmm. So if they don't really care about the death benefit at that point and they just want the policy paid up so they're not paying, you know, $300 a month going into their yeah. retirement because they want to use that cash value as income. They don't want to put money in. Now they want to get money out. The cash value still earns dividends and they can get income out of the policy into their retirement. So there's still options going into the future. Would would you sell a 30-year-old uh, pay till you're 100 if they were doing 300 bucks planning for retirement? You could. I mean, I've done it before with, with the whole life policy. If someone likes whole life better than IUL, you can, depending on the insurance company, you can blend it with what's called paid up additions, which basically yeah. just makes that cash value grow faster. 
Um, Because normally with the whole life policy, the first like one to three years, that 300 a month is going straight to the cost of insurance. So there's zero cash value. If they're wanting to do it as a retirement vehicle or they like the life insurance retirement plan idea, but they just don't like IUL. If they don't like IUL. So everything is kind of hanging on like they don't like the IUL because that would be the better choice for them. I think so. I, okay. I, I think so. <laughs> I think the IUL is going to be a better fit. Like I just had a conversation with a guy. He hates universal life chassis policies. He wants nothing to do with them. He likes whole life insurance and that's all he wants. And I'm like, hey, you know, a guy comes into my store and wants a blue suit. I'm going to give him a blue suit. You know, I'm not going to try to give him a black suit because he doesn't want a black suit. He wants a blue suit. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. Yeah, I mean, because it'll still work. I mean, the the whole life policy is still going to work. It's just probably not going to be as much cash value there long term because long term, the IUL is likely going to perform one to two points average higher. A big pro to the IUL is the flexibility of the premium, too. Right. You don't you're not going to get that with your whole life policy in the same regard as, you know, hey, if your max is six grand, your minimum's eight hundred dollars. You know, you're not going to get that with whole life. You're, you're right. going to throw off the entire projection of your whole life policy by underfunding it or skipping payments, which I think is a big draw to young people, right? Who are starting to build wealth, start a family, buy property. You know, they need that kind of flexibility. I've just found that my reaction to whole life policies that pay till 100 when someone, you know, 30 year old, $300 a month, I'm like, what was this agent thinking? Right. Because now they're coming to me saying, hey, I don't really know if this is the right policy for me. Can, can I use it the way in your videos? And most yeah. of the time it's like, eh, maybe, yeah. maybe not. It might not work. Might not work so well. And, you know, just of course, yes, they can they can have it paid up at a certain time, fund it till 65 and stop that. But like going through all of this instead of having flexibility. Oh, I want to be done at 61. I'm done. I want to mm-hmm. fund it till 67. You know. Um, I think that's a a big deal. I wish more agents thought about the policy, you know, and the person they're working with just in more detail. Um, it sounds like you it sounds like you are doing that, though, which is amazing. Yeah, I mean, it's I mean, it, it ain't my first rodeo. I mean, I've, I've been in the business six years. I, I had to earn my stripes like you could post a video on TikTok or Instagram, get hundreds of thousands of views and people can yeah. see see your profile and they can fill up your calendar for a month. Well, wow, I, I made one video. I have enough appointments for a month. You can be someone who, you know, just got your license six months ago. And, and, and have that, have, have, have a calendar and, and cool, you know, good for you. Good, good for you for being smart like that. That's fine. However, yeah. a lot of people on TikTok and Instagram, I've noticed are people who are relatively newly licensed. They don't really have the industry experience. They don't really have retirement planning experience. They haven't been in the industry long enough to see the pitfalls of a whole life policy done badly or an IUL done badly or how, you know, variable universal life policies were the greatest thing since sliced bread and they all blew up in the 2008 financial crisis. Like, none of these wait, people wait, were around. Wait, say it again. Say it again. Yeah. The I mean, ULs. <laughs> right. I mean, oh. a, a, lot, a lot of people who are on social media now, they've just gotten licensed fairly recently. Yeah. You know, I was one of them three years ago, three and a half years ago. I was brand new agent, jumped on mm-hmm. TikTok viral. Yeah, and it's crazy. My first episode of this podcast was like, listen, I had 300 people on my calendar. I had my license for four months and they, the, you know, my people above me were trying to tell me, just go find people, just right. go find people. And I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. How am I going to find people, <laughs> right. train them and do right by all these people? Are you kidding me? And um, last week I I talked on the episode about how I maybe did business with like 10%. Those maybe, 
because I was like, I I'm not going to pretend I know something I don't. And I'm also right. not going to put somebody in policies just because I can. Sure. Instead of actually doing business, a couple of months were spent of like literally just spending half an hour on the phone with someone, an hour on the phone with somebody. Yeah. And that experience in itself, because I don't look at it like I didn't I didn't make money during that time, but I got to hear so many different perspectives from individual people that just gave me so much perspective on how people are feeling about their money, about retirement, about the world. And I got to take all of that and use it, you know, and I left the other company and I started my own thing. It was like, people are going to wait for the right thing. And they would rather me, you know, know what I'm doing than just right. pretend that I do. So it was great to have the, you know, lucky video, but it didn't result into money. But I know that there are agents out there that they did take that opportunity and just like anything we can do, sign them up, sign them yeah. up. <laughs> Which is, you know, word of mouth is going to spread when you screw someone over with their money. Yeah, especially some of the heavy hitters out there. You know, they they, they don't take yeah. getting ripped off lightly. I mean, they they didn't become successful by being complete idiots and letting people who no. you know uh, slight them just walk away without a bruise. Like there, some of those guys who have money, they'll, they'll they'll come after you. Oh yeah, I mean, for good reason though. I mean, if you ripped them off that badly, I mean, shoot, I would I would sick my attorneys if i had those kinds of financial resources <laughs> yep. i'd send my whole team after someone if someone 100%. you know ripped me out of money like that do you have any creators that you just either like bad vibes or you know that they're shady some of the they're not nothing like big red flags but there's just yeah. been a few like small things that they say where it's like that's not quite how it works yeah it just kind of calls into question their credibility you know or yeah do you have something in mind? Like I've seen some creators say about IULs, oh, um, you know, this is what the banks do, which is true. You know, the banks do life insurance, but they'll say, you know, the banks put their money into one of these insurance policies. And, you know, the reason why is you can make a an average return of like, you know, 12% or 15%, which is not true at all. I mean, an IUL is by nature a conservative asset class. It's more... Yeah. It's like between a stock and a bond. I mean, can you get 10% one year? Can you get 12% one year? Yeah, sure. You're not going to average that. And and I'll hear some people say stuff like that about IULs. Like, oh yeah, you can average a 12% return. Like, no, you can't. You're just getting a piece of the action from the market indexes. You're not getting the yeah. full upside. Um, yeah. But the trade-off is we're getting none of the downside. So of whenever I see people say stuff like that, it makes us kind of look bad because it's basically like everyone who doesn't do this is a complete idiot because why... Would you even bother buying stocks and bonds and mutual funds and index funds when you can if just you get this just, IU? Yeah. It's a very good way to explain it. It's a very good way to explain it. Like, I mean, it's like, why even have money in the stock market at all? Because if you can get a 12%, 15% return with literally zero investment risk, you know, everybody else, like, especially people like Warren Buffett, like, you know, they, they would know about this and they'd be, you know, yeah, they I mean, it's, <laughs> like those little small details but it is kind of a kind of important thing no it's it's no it's huge huge red flag on that mike what do you run your illustrations at then if you're going to show a client an illustration what's the interest rate going to be no your average is probably going to be somewhere around five to seven percent it's going to be a little bit more than a bond but not quite as high as a stock um yeah. so i usually show somewhere around five and a half six percent me too at 5.7 5.9 yeah, depending depending on the carrier um, and the product, some products will allow you to only illustrate to four point seven. Right. So when you do your illustrations, where are you allocating your clients' money to? Because you know we have lots of different options as far as where money can be allocated. 
Um, do you have a strategy that you use? Do you usually put all of the money into like the S&P 500? Do you split it up? What's do you have a strategy there? Yeah, I like the S&P indexes. I, I did illustrate a little bit of some of the proprietary indexes in 2022. I actually kind of regret doing that. It just it doesn't seem like some of the proprietary indexes are going to perform close mm -hmm. to what the carriers were originally projecting over the last few years. So I feel like that was a little bit of a mistake on my part. So I, I've been lately, I've been switching a lot of my clients um, index allocation into the S&P 500 indexes because it's it's pretty cut and dry. I mean, there's not a whole lot of manipulation going on behind the scenes that we can see mm -hmm. with some of the proprietary indexes. You have a lot more data to go off of. I mean, uh, IULs are, I mean, they're not new financial products by any means, but in the grand scheme of like retirement planning and investing and, and all that, they, they are rel relatively new, but you can look yeah, at the S&P. 27 years. Right. Barely. You can go all the way to, you know, 1920 and there's data for the S&P 500. So you can say, yeah. hey, look, you know, even if the IUL itself is a relatively new chassis for, you know, personal finance, we're all we're doing is we're just tracking the performance of the S&P, which goes back to 1920. So is the IUL really that new? I mean, a little, but like, kind of not really. Not if you use historic indexes, like you're saying. Right. Um, and for anybody listening who's wondering what proprietary index is, it's just there will be historic indexes and there will be newer indexes that are special to the insurance industry, right? They don't have data all the ba way back to 1920. And so I like what you're saying, Mike, that you, you are very careful about what you do with your client's money. You want to put it in historical indexes and you are watching that paying attention. So very nice. Can I let you in on a secret though? Sure. Yeah, go ahead. My illustrations and what I do with my clients when it comes to allocations, I am using three different indexes always and the fixed account. I think that's probably a good idea because interest rates are high right now. Yes, sir. Um, I mean, I have a, an IUL product right now that's that has a 5.3 fixed rate. Yeah, it's, it's pretty, that's pretty good. We, we haven't seen that in a long time. My clients would know what I'm talking about, right? I put 20 to 30% of all of the money going into the policy to allocate to the fixed account, get guaranteed interest. So if all the other indexes do crash, you can hedge against the cost of insurance, right? Right. And imagine the performance of the IUL if even on those zero years, you know, 30% still earned 4%. Right. Huge, right? So I like to use... S&P 500 point to point, um, either, you know, a trigger S&P 500, the spread S&P 500, the monthly, some other combination, two different S&P 500s. And I'll try to use one of the newer indexes only because we want to get the bonus or we want to take advantage of the participation. But I like to right. stick with about 20% there so mm -hmm. that I don't feel like I'm putting my clients money into something that's new. Right. I want right. to feel like the indexes are consistent. So if you want to steal my fixed index strategy, please do. Because I, I clients love it. They they love that idea. Um, you know, when clients are looking for life insurance for their money, I it only makes sense to me that we use every feature we can to make it as consistent, as reliable as possible. Yeah. Well, Mike, I wanna um I wanna ask you one more thing. What made you want to come be on the show? Because I didn't have to I didn't have to ask you very many times, just the one time and you were like, Yep, I'll be there. What made you wanna come? I mean, I, I've seen your content before and I like it. I think I think you're one of the good ones too, which I think is is good. It's it's helpful. I mean, you, you learn something every time you talk to another advisor, I think. And mm -hmm. I mean, and if you don't, it's 
probably because you weren't listening good enough. But, um, (laughs) you know, I I think it's good. I think it's good to network with people and have those professional associations and build those connections. And I mean, you you never know. You never know where that will will take you and your business. And uh, maybe you learn a new idea from me and I learn a new idea from you. And we take that into our practices and we're able to help more people. But ultimately, yeah. I don't know. I just, I think, I think you're doing good work for your clients, you know, or you're, I get a professional vibe from you about that. So yeah, that's kind of, I appreciate it. I have yeah. learned things from you today. I, I've learned things about whole life insurance um, that I did not know. I mean, I learned things about you too. I th- sure. So we both, we had a trade-off yeah, um, definitely. today and it was great. If you could tell the world one thing about life insurance, what you just wish you could just drill into people's head, what would it be? Probably about related to taxes that's our number one competitive advantage is there aren't too many places you can put money into where it can grow tax protected and is accessible income tax free there's not really anything else that can do that unless you're looking at a roth ira but then you got contribution limits it's a qualified retirement account so there's liquidity limitations until 59 and a half it's in the stock market so there's not as much guarantees and the government can just say tomorrow sorry, nobody can add to a Roth IRA anymore. I mean, they could, there's no contract that says you can keep adding money into it. Now, they can't say that, that, that the money that's in there isn't tax-free because once the money's in there, it's tax-free. But they they can say, well, the contribution limit is zero now. Nobody can add in any more money. They, they could do that tomorrow if they wanted. They could. And, but, but with life insurance, they can't do that because life insurance is a contract. And you can't overturn a contract. And that would go to the Supreme Court immediately. So, because in the United States, we have a legal precedent called sanctity of contract, a a contract that's signed at the time when those terms and conditions were met, that is Mm -hmm. a valid contract. And you can't just retroactively go back and change the contract that that we we don't allow that in our society. Um, And so life insurance has that advantage because, you know, if anything else changes with any other financial products, if you're putting in a thousand dollars a month into your IUL, guess what? That's your premium on your life insurance. And that money is still being piped into that policy and growing tax-free, even if you're not able to add to a Roth IRA anymore. And when you look at taxes, they're actually some of the the, the lowest they've ever been in, in 50 years. Mm-hmm. So, you know, our national debt's way up here. Taxes are way down here. They have to pay for all that somehow. <laughs> yeah. uh, that has to come down mm-hmm. and the taxes yeah. have to go up. If taxes have never been this low in 50 years, and there's this one financial product that you can put money into that grows income tax-free forever. The IRS can never get it ever again. You can put an unlimited amount of money into that policy. You can access it whenever you want and pass it on to your family income tax-free. Why would you not want to put as much money as you possibly could into that account when taxes have never been this low in 50 years and you're basically buying your taxes at 50% off? Mic drop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We have the one thing you can put money into that grows tax-free. Everything else is like the cherry on top that sweetens the whole deal. I love it. It's it's so important. So important. I mean, you just dropped a lot of information, a lot of knowledge on on everybody listening. So I appreciate that as well. It feels like you, you've done your homework. You've done your research. You read up on what's going on. You're watching trends and you're doing this all to make sure that you're doing the best by your clients. Right. And that's a huge, a huge deal. And- Considering that, right, considering the state of the world and the economy and the amount of debt that the government has, I come back to just about the first thing that you said on the podcast was that insurance agents or insurance brokers, we are the only ones that really can save somebody in that situation and help them prepare. 
So you brought yourself all the way back, my friend. Yeah, yeah, that, that's a really good point. And that's that's the way I see it. Um, Tax-free, Mike. It's in the name, right? It's in the name. I. <laughs> yeah, that's why I named myself Tax-free Mike. Tax-free Mike. It has been it has been a pleasure having you here. I'm so glad to get to have this conversation with you and get to know you more. Casey the Dollar is officially going to say that Tax-Free Mike is an asset. From what you told me, it seems like you've covered all of your bases. You're not just willy-nilly about this stuff. You know how, how serious and how important it is. As far as we are concerned here at the You're an Asset podcast, uh, Tax-Free Mike, you're an asset. Gold star, A+, whatever. Um, so Tax-Free Mike, tell us. Where can we find you online? How do people get in contact with you? What's the best way to reach out? Yep, it's just tax free Mike everywhere. And uh, you know, if they want to work with me after chatting, then you know, we'll um, talk some business. Amazing! Thanks so much again, Mike, for being here. It was a pleasure. And that is it for today's episode. This has been the You're an Asset podcast. I'm your host, Casey the Dollar, and on this podcast, we found out who is an asset in the financial industry. And who is just an ass? See you next week. Bye. The You're an Asset podcast is not giving financial advice. We are not licensed financial advisors, and our licensing is strictly in insurance products. The information that we talk about is specific to the products that we work with. We cannot guarantee that other agents will have the same product features that we discuss on the show.